You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Who's scruffy looking? Back on the Pipeline Show, it's time for the NCAA Campus Report, and uh, for that, we're going to uh, touch on. Uh, well, a number of different hot topics around uh, NCAA college hockey, and to do that, we have to recruit one of the best in the business, Dave Starman, who uh, is an analyst with CBS Sports Network, also the Big Ten Network. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show, Dave. How are things? Things are great. You got another good college hockey season coming up. We'll have some drama as we go along. We'll see if the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs can pull off a three-peat, which mm-hmm. hasn't been done in a dog's age, no pun intended. And they're a very good team, but there's a lot of other good teams out there, and there's a lot of really high-end talent in the NCAA, so it is a fun game to watch. No pun intended. That was a great pun. That was a terrific turn of words there. As soon as I said the word, I just thought to myself, oh, boy, try not to be too cute. Well, let's start with those Bulldogs <laughs> then, uh, going for that three-peat. And, and what, it's been since the 50s or something like that since it's happened, so uh, pretty darn tough to to repeat, let alone uh, three-peat in, uh, when it comes to college hockey. On paper... At the start of the year, I said, you know, with all that experience, they might not have a great regular season, but if they get into the tournament, that experience might carry them through, and, and they could be contenders again. What do you think? You know what's funny? They they remind me, in a way, based on what you just said, of the old Islander teams of the early 1980s. And there were a couple of seasons there where those teams, and, and let's be honest, I mean, those teams have some Hall of Famers on them, but they, those teams would at times go through some funks where they didn't look very good, and but their veteran experience when it was time to play the big boys and get it done, their veteran experience carried them through, and their experience of knowing how to win was a huge part of it. In college hockey, you don't have the luxury of an eight-game losing streak to help you out and recover from because that could sink you pretty quick. So I don't think you're going to see UMD be lackadaisical by any means, but I do think that because of the fact that they know how to put it in high gear and when. And because of the fact that they're that rare team where as the games get bigger, they get more relaxed, they could have this little intangible to them that as they go for number three, it's yes, there's excitement, and yes, there's a lot of jam towards it, but they've also got that even-keeled mental and physical component to their game, which could carry them through a game where it's 2-2 in the third against a younger team that may not know how to handle closing out the big time team. That being said, I I think that they're pretty pretty loaded as they have been in recent years. They've lost two great leaders in the last two years, and Carson Coleman, who you saw with the Bruins last year in the Stanley Cup Finals, and mm-hmm. Parker McKay, who was their captain last year. But they returned Scott Brunovich, who's a terrific offensive minded defenseman. Dylan Sandberg is is another guy that can carry the mail, has a ton of experience, and you know when you look up front, guys like Nick Sweeney and Noah Cates, his brother Jackson Cates, Kobe Roth has come from under the radar to be a really good player and, and they've added some youth and they've got a goalie who knows how to win. So I, I mean, I like what Duluth can do this year and I, it would be very surprising if the, we if they didn't make a run to Detroit. Well, and most of those players that you just mentioned know nothing at the college level except the winning national championships. So, um, yeah, they've they've definitely got a lot of ex- uh, experience uh, on that roster and a, and a coach that's done it a number of times now too. Uh, right now, though, the team to beat uh, the Denver Pioneers uh, undefeated so far this year. And again, out of the NCHC, that conference has been fairly dominant here the last few years. Uh, the Pioneers looking again like a team that can contend and and uh, leading the way for uh, for uh, local fans up here. Ian Mitchell having a terrific season. Oh God, boy, is he ever a good player? He and he is he's a ton of fun to watch. He is so skilled, and I, I love the dynamic that. 
he brings to that team because he could be a guy that can get your points and and be strong in terms of that style, but he's also a guy that can really take care of his own end. I think he's got 10 or 11 points to yeah. start the season. And, you know, you take like he's a guy that's nearing 100 games in his career. And then you throw in the World Junior experience that he's had, and, and he's probably a guy that I, you know, I can see the Spengler Cup team taking a look at him to to see whether or not you know he can go over and play in that surface uh, during the Christmas break if if that's available. I mean, he's just one of those players that makes so much happen a because of his hockey IQ and b because of his skating. And you know, then you end up with some guys that again have flown under the radar with some of the big strong teams that Denver's had. You look at Emilio Peterson, who's been terrific. He's a draft choice of the Calgary Flames. And, you know, Liam Finley is an undrafted senior free agent who, for four years, has just been able to bring it and play a role. You know, Brett Stapley is a is a draft, and he's a kid that brings a ton of skill. Tyson McClellan's got the pedigree between being a coach's kid and uh, a tremendous penalty killer. And you know, guys like Cohen Olashevsky and Ryan Barrow have been guys that have, I think, really upped their games over the last couple of years. And you know, they've got a great ability to, to develop defensemen who who can handle big minutes, and a kid like Griffin Mendel last year I thought really did a, a nice job for him. So the question becomes, does their goaltending hold up as the season goes on? Because they've got a couple of young ones, but the mm-hmm. kid who's the Tampa draft has carried the mail for him, and, and I know that he has been terrific so far in the early part of the season. Yeah, Magnus Krohn, a giant six foot six netminder, fifth-round pick of the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, so far, getting the getting the job done. Now, you do a lot with the, the Big Ten Network and a couple of Big Ten teams I wanted to ask you about. They actually – just met. Uh, that's Penn State and Wisconsin. I expect a, a highly offensive game when those two teams are uh, involved, especially when they're playing against each other. But tell me about Penn State and uh, Guy Gadowski's squad, uh, what you see from them. And uh, you were telling me before we started an uh, interesting comparable you might see. I think Penn State is built to make a long run. So they might have some hiccups as the course of the season goes on. And, you know, Gadowski was talking about how early in the season between the the two games that played against Alaska Fairbanks, a shutout win and a shutout loss, and a 2-1 win over Robert Morris, they, and, and the wins over Sacred Heart, they didn't feel like they were playing like they could, and they were really looking forward to getting into conference play to see what they were made of. And I thought that their two showings, they did both games, I thought their two showings against Wisconsin were, were pretty strong. But he's got a team that is old. He's got a senior and junior-laden team. And Red Berenson of Michigan always said you can't win a national title without really good seniors. And He's got them, and a kid like Nate Susie, who right now is leading the team in scoring. You know, Brandon Byro is is just an absolute rock. Plays a really hard game. He reminds me a little bit of Blake Lazat. Uh, they both do actually. Blake Lazat who just played at St. Cloud State and signed with the Kings. Both those guys are kind of in that same vein. That as their coach in LA said, he's kind of like you know the the gnat in the black tent that you can't find and <laughs> and just drives you crazy. And you know then you got Cole Holtz on defense who who has really been a guy who's a little bit understated but can play a strong game. He's a junior. He's a veteran. And when you go down that lineup, you just see a lot of guys who who have seen the national tournament, then saw the disappointment of last year. They understand that you know the offensive find a game that they want is not the be-all and end-all. And what's going on at Penn State right now is they are trying to incorporate a lot of what Minnesota Duluth has done over the last few years, and that is present a structure to the players to play within, give them some kind of systematic theme that they want to stay aligned with, but also make sure that they give them the offensive freedom to go out and generate chances at the net. And their challenge right now is can they still become that really good, dominant, offensive-minded team with without sacrificing at the back end? And then conversely, can they beef up in the back end and be better in their own end without sacrificing their ability 
to go play offense. But I think a goalie like Peyton Jones, who's starting to show they could string together back-to-back good games, mm-hmm. is a reason for them to think that they can become a very effective 200-foot three-zone team that can outscore and shut down when they need to. Dave Starman, a uh, longtime analyst for college hockey on the uh, CBS Sports Network and uh, with the Big Ten Network. You always see him on TV uh, come the Frozen Four as well. He's my guest right now. And when you look at the Badgers right now, and I had Jimmy Connolly from USCHO on last week, and, and I asked him, you know, there's so much talk about Cole Caulfield. And I don't know if it's because he's a Montreal prospect and there's Habs fans all over the place. But Alex Turcott, who's uh, drafted much earlier than him, kind of getting overshadowed there by Caulfield, and uh, of course Caulfield's having a fantastic freshman year. Uh, tell me about both of those guys, as what you've seen from them as Badgers so far. Let's start with Turcock, who's centering their big line between Cole Caulfield and Linus Weisbach. And, you know, watching Alex on film, it's funny, I was in Baltimore in 1991 is, uh, doing a lot of radio work with Kenny Albert down there and, and some scouting under Barry Trotz, and who was our assistant, and you know, I got a chance to watch Alfie Turcott play for a year at the dad. And, you know, Alfie had magic hands and, and was great ability to get to the front of the net and slash into hard areas with a puck and protect it. And, you know, I see the same thing in, in Alex. And it's funny because sometimes there are plays that he made. And I went, oh, my gosh. And I haven't seen Alfie play in 20-something years. And, boy, did that ever bring back a memory. But he's a he's a strong kid on his skates. He's really good on his edges. He's got that great ability to, to be very slippery with the puck and still be able to protect it and – and he's got, to me, I don't think deceptive speed is the right way to put it, but he's just got really good short area speed where he can make plays in tight spaces. And he facilitates that line with Caulfield and Weisbach. You know, Weisbach is a really neat player, good skater, shifty, uh, offensively skilled. And then you get Caulfield. And Caulfield, to me, is, is a very unique dynamic because unlike a lot of smaller players that I've seen play in the NCAA, Johnny Gaudreau is the closest comparison I could think of. But even with Gaudreau, if you got in Gaudreau's space, he'd be the kind of kid that if you didn't think he could shake you off, he would move a puck, get to another space, and get it. And remember, he played with some really talented players like a Chris Kreider and a Billy Arnold and a and the Hayes brothers. I mean, he had some guys that could really get on the puck. And, you know, with, with Caulfield, he's in that same dynamic. But the thing that you notice about him, he's a really hard player to gap. Short player, short stick, plays over, you know, he's bent, knows over the puck. And anytime anybody gets in his space, he's got a great ability to change the space so that you can't gap him. And I think that is a really neat dynamic to have. It's not something I've seen a lot of in a young player. And when I was talking with him, talking about him with Tony Granato as head coach, uh, Tony said to me, he goes, you know, here's the funny thing about it. He's probably a better offensive zone player than he is a rush player. And with the way that he plays in the offensive zone, his command of the offensive zone, he's the only player I've seen other than Brett Hall that really understands the ability to get open, finish plays, play in the offensive zone, know where to go, think about knowing where to go next, and being able to finish on a play that quickly. I thought that was really high praise, but it's a very unique comparison, and you can see it a little bit in the way Caulfield plays and the way that he continually hunts for a good place to put a stick down so he can finish off offensive plays. Uh, I want to ask you about Dylan Holloway. We're only seven, eight games into his college season. He's, he's only got three points, and I, I don't know if he was a healthy scratch one night or he didn't play. He hasn't played all eight games that the Badgers have played. Um, what can you tell me about Dylan Holloway, the collegian, uh, after – a really good career as an AJHLer up here. It's funny. I didn't. He didn't play one of the two games at Penn State. There was a respiratory illness that kind of hit the team, and mm. and he was one of the guys that was affected. So he didn't play Friday night, but he played Saturday night. And you could see that he was just coming back from it. But in, in, in just a bit that I watched him on film and, and getting ready for the weekend series, you know, he was a kid who I thought had really good command of not only where he was on the ice, 
but where everybody else was too. I thought his play off the puck was something worth watching. He uses frame really well, but I thought his IQ was something that really drove his engine. And, you know, whether he was a third man high, whether he was in first, whether he was going to make a play on the wall, whether it was locking a lane or, or just, you know, taking up an area to try to make a better play, I thought he just had really good command of what was going on around him when he didn't have the puck. And for a young player, especially as a draft eligible, but for a young player, I thought it was a really impressive thing to see. Uh, he had really nice composure and, and really good hockey sense. There's no question. All right, before I let you go, Dave, I want to ask you about the uh, Minutemen of Massachusetts because, listen, they graduate two players uh, from their roster last year straight to the NHL in Kale McCarr and Mario Ferraro, both of them off the back end, and that team hasn't missed a beat. They still look uh, like contenders this year. Uh, a lot of credit obviously has to go to Greg Carville and his staff, but when you look at that club, what stands out for you? First of all, I, I really like how you phrased that, Greg Carville and his staff. He's got a terrific staff there. His two assistants, Jared DeMichael and Ben Barr, are really, really good hockey guys. And I think somewhere down the road, both future head coaches in the NCAA. And, and, and it's funny because DeMichael handles the goaltending, and Matt Murray and Philip Lindbergh, I think, have split the games for the most part. And, you know, last year, Matt Murray ran with it until Lindbergh picked up the mantle late in the year and, mm-hmm. and carried them straight through to the championship game. And, you know, this year they're, they're starting to split some time. And if they can, they can each establish themselves. That, that's an even better thing as they look for a second straight appearance in the title game. But what, what they've been doing is they've been getting some pretty good offense. Mitchell Chaffee has picked up where he left off last year. He he has been really dynamic to start with. John Leonard's a guy that's always been able to score. And I don't, the thing I last time I looked, he was at five goals, no assist. I mean, he kind of had the Cy Young line going. And uh, he might have added a couple of goals this past weekend. I'm not sure. But, you know, they, they've got a really good back end that can skate. And, you know, between – Guys like Del Gaizo and Farmer, I mean, they can really move pucks up the ice, and, and, and they're solid down the middle. I, we all know it. If you're going to be a good team, you've got to be good down the middle, and you've got to be good on the back end, and obviously be good in goal. And they certainly have that. And, yes, they graduated two really dynamic players, but being that they brought back basically their entire team, and they've also got some vets in there that can lead the way. And, they, and like Duluth always said, you know, UMD talked about, they saw the bright lights and didn't get there when they lost that national championship game to Denver, and that really helped motivate them to go the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. I think between Carvel and his staff's experience and the experience of some of those older players, some of whom for them probably is their last chance to win a national title as, as upperclassmen, I think they are going to be dialed in and consistent through the course of the year because they know what it takes to get through a really tough hockey schedule that's going to include BC and BU and Northeastern and Providence None of those teams are pushovers. Uh, really impressed what they've done so far. Mark Dell, guys, he's only played one game, uh, and yet uh, they haven't missed a beat because Zach Jones has stepped in on the blue line. He's got eight points in, in seven games. Oliver Chow hasn't scored yet. He's got five points but hasn't found the back of the net, and he's a guy that's supposed to be doing that, and yet the mass, uh, the uh, Minutemen keep winning, and uh, uh, that's pretty impressive for sure. Uh, Dave, I really appreciate your time as always and uh, already looking forward to calling you again. I hope you don't mind if it's uh, sooner as opposed to later. <laughs> let's do it as often as you want does it get any better than that i don't think so dave starman uh, analyst with cbs sports network espn the nhl network uh, and just a, a great guest to get on the show to talk a little college puck that's the ncaa campus report segment for college hockey inc when we come back it's a uh, time to talk a little uh, canadian university hockey you sport update with a uh, player who spent his entire whl career with one franchise Parker O'Coin of the Tri-City Americans, now with the Carleton University Ravens. He's next to close out this week's episode here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, it's Michael Rasmussen of the Tri-City Americans. 
collected by Elkison, thrown away Sandu. Slot, Rasmussen, he scores! A natural hat-trick in the first American hat-trick in three years. How about that? And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Star Wars Night Strikes Back. Star Wars and hockey fans unite. This Saturday, it's the return of the Edmonton Oil Kings against division rivals, the Calgary Hitmen. Get your hands on specialty Star Wars jerseys worn by your Oil Kings via silent auction with proceeds going to local charity. Oil Kings Star Wars Night against the Calgary Hitmen. Who will shoot first? Saturday night at 7. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $20 a seat. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca.